every church, every single church out there ought to have um, or has some superpowers. Like, have you ever been in, in a church where you're like, man, that church has got this superpower of whatever. Like, churches ought to have that. And when a church actually, uh, when a church stops preaching the gospel and loving their community, I believe they actually lose their superpower. Like, I've seen churches that lost that thing that kind of gave them like this almost otherworldly quality in them. And so every church ought to have these superpowers just right off the bat. Every church ought to teach the Bible. Man, the, Bible's, the Bible says of itself that it is the sword of the Spirit. We just sang a song to the Holy Spirit, worshiping Him and asking the Spirit to be among us. The, the Word of God, the Bible, is the sword of the Spirit. Now, I don't want to go into battle without a sword, and in the same way, or without a weapon, the Bible says of itself that it is the Christian's offensive weapon. It is our first line of attack against the enemy. So the word is one of our superpowers. The spirit, the Holy Spirit of God is our superpower. The power of the gospel that, that God made everything good and we messed it up. And yet God had a plan and redeemed the broken stuff and makes us new. That is such a good and powerful message as we shared last week. That's our superpower. And I think probably our greatest superpower is love. Like, have you ever been in a church that just excelled in love? Like, these ought to be universally the superpowers of anything that is a church that Jesus would walk into and say, now, that's a place where I want to be for the next hour, all right? Churches also have, I've seen churches with other superpowers like humility or service. Have you ever seen a church that just serves well? or creativity, or generosity. There's a church in Easley, South Carolina, a church that Kayla came out of, uh, named Mount Airy Baptist Church. This church has the superpower of generosity. Like the way that they uh, not only pay to kind of meet their budget and do ministry and mission in their community, but have helped us and have helped a church planner in Cleveland and a guy in Nashville and another pastor now in Charleston, South Carolina, and people in Kenya and people in Thailand. The way they fund these things through their kingdom generosity is exemplary. Uh, I've seen churches with the superpower of like abilities and gifts. Nick's probably, Nick was making fun of me this morning. Because of all the technological things, I don't know how to do. And Juliana was laughing. Juliana was right over here. They were laughing at me, the things I don't know how to do. Listen, I don't have to know how to do them. God's given us Nick and Juliana and Scott and Ari, and they're amazing. There's a diversity of gifts here in the room, and that collectively is our superpower. The older I get, the, like, the less I care about knowing how to do a lot of things. I remember my granddad, had at the, at, toward the end of his life, had like three controls you remember, like, you had the, like, the, the VCR control, the television control, and the cable control, and he was like, I'm done with this. Like, my granddad understood he was kind of a one-trick, he was a one-remote-control guy in a three-remote-control universe. Like, a church where everybody understands their gifts and their giftedness, and they can harness that together, that becomes a superpower. It's a, there's churches that have the superpower of being a team and operating in a spirit of unity. I've seen churches with the superpower of boldness, and I don't mean like weird boldness, like walk up to people and coop them out on the street boldness. I mean like so convinced of Jesus and the power of the gospel that it just like 
radiated out of them. It's a superpower. Not every church has that. I would ask you this morning, what are Christ Church Charlestown's God-given, grace-given superpowers? If you're watching on Facebook Live, you can write it in the chat. Like, if you've been here before, what do you feel like are this church's superpowers? If you're chatting right now, like on your Facebook Live, last week I went home and read it. I was like, Ed didn't hear a word I said last week. That man was on his, he was chatting and chatting. Now, he was actually quoting me, so I know that he listened. Like, if you're on Facebook, write it in the chat. What are our church's superpowers? And this isn't to affirm or celebrate Christ Church Charleston. Look, we're not here for our glory And for our fame, we're here for the glory of Jesus. This is when we affirm this, we're affirming and honoring and celebrating Jesus. So when we talk about superpowers, and that's kind of what we're getting at today, we're not talking about our power and our strength, but about God's power and God's strength. And we ought to constantly be looking and seeing where we see God at work in one another and affirming that. Not saying, Howard, man, you're so generous. Uh, Saul, you're so worshipful. Juliana, you have such a servant's heart. That's not what we're doing. What we're saying, we're affirming those things, but we're also saying, man, I see the heart of God in your worshipfulness. You're willing to serve your generosity, your joy. We're affirming God's superpower. Or as Colossians 1, let me just read you this. This isn't our passage for today. But Colossians 1, uh, 28 and 29, Paul said, he said, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, this is what I was trying to do, is help people grow in their faith and mature in Christ. And then he says this, For this I toil, struggling with all of His energy, that he powerfully works within me. I'm struggling with his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So today, I want us to look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. If you get a paper Bible, you can turn to it. If you don't, we're going to put it up here. You can grab a digital Bible. And last week, we talked about Luke 24, and we talked about Jesus' resurrection. And if you were here, you may already know this, uh, the, the Gospel of Luke was written by Dr. Luke, who very carefully investigated Jesus, his life, his ministry, his resurrection. Uh, And then he wrote sort of the biography of Jesus that we call the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote a sequel to it, like any good superhero movie. There was a second one. There wasn't a third one for Luke. But the book of Acts is the sequel to Luke. It's the biography of the Holy Spirit, kind of the biography of the church. And so here's what happens at the end of Luke. Um, Jesus rises from the dead. He meets with his disciples. And then we pick up an axe and Jesus is about to ascend back to heaven. He gives the disciples some last minute marching orders. And one of the things he says is, now go back to Jerusalem. And I just want you to pray and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on you. And the disciples actually follow his directions and they They go back to this room in Jerusalem and they're praying and finally the Holy Spirit comes in. For the first time in human history, the Spirit of God begins to live in people and not just among people. This has never happened in human history. Every time that you read the Bible from everything from Genesis 1 until Acts 1, when people in Acts 2, when people encounter God, they never encounter God as him being in them. So I'll tell you this. Sitting in my note, it's always dangerous. Um, a lot of times I've thought, man, if I could just be with Jesus, I would totally believe. Have you ever thought something like that? If I could just walk with Jesus, I would totally believe. Here's the problem with that. For those first disciples, if Jesus wasn't literally in the room with him, 
then God wasn't actually with them because the Holy Spirit was the first moment that God began to come and live in people. And so where we're going to pick up today, here's what happens. The the disciples and those earliest believers, the the Holy Spirit comes on them. God's Spirit begins to come and live in them, which is our privilege as Christians. And Peter goes out. The the disciples go out into the streets. A big festival going on in Jerusalem. And Peter preaches this message. And he basically starts with Genesis and works all the way to the present moment. He says, everything in history has been pointing to this moment. The Son of God dying uh, for our sins. The Son of God resurrecting us, giving us hope, and offering us relationship with Christ. And and so the act says the people were cut to the core, like that feeling in your gut, like feels like God has just emotionally disemboweled you. That's what happens. They're just like, oh, what do we need to do? This is true, not just generally, but this is true for us. And Peter says, repent, believe, and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And it says that day, 3,000 people chose to begin to follow Christ and have relationship with Christ. And that's where we're going to pick up today in Acts 2.42. I think Ari's got the verses up here for us. She does an amazing job each week, and I'm super grateful for her. Acts 2.42 from the ESV uh, version. And they devoted themselves, those 3,000 believers plus the disciples, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And they and awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44, and all who believed were together, and they had all these things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Hey, let me, let me just pray before we dive into this real quick. God, help us to hear. Help us to hear exactly what it is you want to say to us. I pray we would hear, hear it with ears that are loved and it would fall soft on hearts that are loved just as we are, but love too much to stay that way. God, I know in this room, I I think about um, people who enter into this space having had a tough week. Some folks are grieving this morning. Some of us have busy hearts. We've had a busy week or got a busy week ahead. God, some of us come in here about to be out of our skin. We're just so excited. It's even some people's birthday in this room today. (laughs) God, will you speak to us? Let your word fall on our hearts right now, wherever we are, in Christ's name, amen. So I'm going to tell you 10 superpowers of this church. And I'm going to tell them to you fast. I'm not going to preach you a 10-point sermon, but I'm going to tell you 10 superpowers of this church. So for the note-takers in the house, be ready to scribble fast. All right, number one, we see it in verse 42. They, one of their superpowers was devotion. They were devoted to, God, to the gospel. They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to prayer. I love how it says it. It just starts off, says, 3,000 were baptized that day and came into the family of God, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. They were devoted. How does a church, let me ask you a question. Just kind of sit with this one for a second. How does a church know if Easter or baptism or salvation was legit or if it was just an emotion? I remember hearing a church one time in the South 
coached their worship leaders that if you played the right chords on the electric guitar in the song after the service, it could more easily elicit an emotional response. That was one of the grossest things I've ever heard in my life. How do we know if what God is doing in us and among us is legit or if it's just emotion? The answer is time. Time will tell the authenticity of our faith. It's what uh, people throughout Christian history have called the perseverance of the saints. That what God starts, he continues in our hearts and in our lives. And if we tap out, then there was something that wasn't there to our faith at the beginning. Now, some of you might be here today kind of as an act of faith, and you haven't figured this out. Like, you haven't tapped out, but you're not sure. Listen, Uh, My mom used to always say, the faith that falters before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first. Let me say it again. The faith that falters before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first. But I'll tell you something else I've learned watching people follow Jesus over the years. Never judge a book in the third chapter of a 15-chapter book. What God is doing in your life, if you're in a valley or a struggling spot right now, God's not done with you. Don't let the enemy convince you that where you are now is where you will end up. Time will show the authenticity of our faith. It's what Eugene Peterson calls, I love this, he, he calls discipleship the long obedience in the same direction. That's discipleship. That's devotion. It's seen and finding ways and spaces in our church, even in adversity. We've had more people in Zoom community groups in the last year than we ever had in face-to-face groups. That's devotion. It's I need these people. I don't like seeing them digitally. I want to see them face to face. I want to see their mouths and their facial expressions. But in the absence of that, I'm going to find a way. It's Facebook Live. It's meeting outside. It's meeting inside and wearing a mask. That's devotion to the gospel and devotion to one another. And devotion has to be rooted in love, by the way. Like I've seen people who are devoted to church. They just didn't like the people they were worshiping with. Devotion has to be rooted in love for Christ and love for one another and what God wants to do in the world. The second thing we see in them, so devotion one. Number two, a sense of wonder. This is this idea of can you believe it? Look around. What is God doing in here that is wonderful? Man, we got the privilege a few weeks ago of watching Teresa Gaffney come to faith in Christ. And then a couple weeks after that had the traumatic moment of watching her nearly drown. And she called us, and Nick and Nikki were at our house, and, and literally, like, we prayed together on the phone, and got off the phone, and I don't know if I've even told you this, Teresa, like, we got off the phone, and I was like, Teresa almost drowned tonight, and we were, like, rattled, but then one of us said, but you know what, if that would have happened, she still would have stepped into eternity with Jesus, And in like two short months of following Christ, I've seen God do more in your life than I've seen God do in a lot of people's entire life. And it's very sweet. Very sweet. There's wonderful things God is doing in us and among us. This is an evidence of the power of the Lord. It's a superpower. The sense of wonder. Like I hope we never lose this sense of, if God doesn't show up, we are in deep trouble. If God doesn't show up, we are in deep, deep trouble. What here, just kind of look around. Everybody's got your mask on. You kind of look at your neighbor. Look around. What here is wonderful and defies logic? 
Like, what is, there's a lot of wonderful things happening in this room right now, and even on Facebook Live as well. Wonder doesn't just happen because a miracle occurred. Wonder is living with open eyes and an anticipating heart, celebrating who God is, what God did, and what God is going to do. That's wonder. Wonder doesn't just happen. These guys lived in awe and wonder. Because God was doing stuff, and I believe God kept doing stuff because they were living in awe and wonder. It's a discipline. It's a superpower. Number three, unity. Verse 44 said, and all who believe were together, and they had all things in common. Jesus' big prayer, his last night on earth for his disciples, he said, I only pray just for these disciples. I pray for everyone who will follow after them. Jesus' prayer for you on the night that he was arrested was that we would be unified, that we would be unified. Unity in Acts 2, what we see here, they were together and had all things in common, wasn't just an idea or a value. It was a practice because it was their birthright in Christ. For a Christian, we are united. We don't have to fight for unity. We are united. In fact, when you see a church that isn't unified, it's because they betrayed something that God gave them in Christ. That's unity. It's not something we value. It's something we do because it's something that we already are. Number four, we see mutual sacrifice, care, and concern. In verse 45, one of the most controversial verses, by the way, in the book of Acts, probably in like the top 10 controversial verses. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All right, can you actually pull that verse up? Verse 40, can you get to it? Verse 45, if you can get to it. Thanks. Because I want to make sure you hear something. The first church were not communists. Like no one, Jesus didn't come in and say, everybody's got to sell your house and sell your land and donate it to a church. That's not what was going on here. And in fact, they weren't even forced to do this. And in fact, not all of them sold their homes and gave away everything they had. And we know that because if you read in Acts 5, some, some land gets sold, some people are doing some other stuff. So we see that not, like, it, they didn't become this socialist, communist state where everybody gave everything away. Rather, what we see is there was mutual sacrifice and concern and care. There was sacrificial generosity. There's everybody doing their part. Everybody doing their part. Everybody saying, you know what? Like, we've got this sister with need, and we're going to step up, and we're not leaving here till the need gets met. And they were like, cool, let's do it. Let's find other needs. One thing that Barb, who is our treasurer at Christ Church Charlestown, we were sitting in a stewardship meeting about a month ago, and she said, you know what we need to do? We need to take a portion of our church budget, and if somebody in our church or somebody in our community or a business needs us to just come along and, like, in a way that makes no earthly sense, invest in them, we need to be prepared to do that. Like, we need to have our budget set up so that we can just be lavishly nonsensical in generosity because that's how God's been toward us. Doesn't that sound good? Man, that sounds so good. <laughs> like, if somebody in our church had something traumatic happened to them, like, I don't want to go get the cream of mushroom soup and the members-only jacket and bring it, like, and be like, best of luck. Like, I mean, I want us to be able to give at a crazy level, a shocking level. And even better, I love it when we get to do that in the community. 
I love it when we get to do that. And that is rooted out of the superpower of mutual sacrificial care and concern. Some, of, some churches have the superpower of giving. Our sending church locally is a church that meets in Roslindale. Uh, Charles River Church, where Mark and Annie came from, that's where Scott came from, that's where Vaskin came from. Nat and I worshiped there for a year. And uh, since we've been here, and so in a five-year span, Charles River Church sent out a guy named Ryan Ackerman to revitalize, to breathe life into a church up in Manchester by the sea. The next year, they sent us out to plant Christ Church Charlestown. The next year, they sent out a guy named Brian Owen who, to plant Grace City Church in the Fenway neighborhood. Now they're sending out a guy named Antoine who's going to plant a church in Dorchester. And in the year after that, they're going to send out a guy whose name I can't even remember who's probably going to plant on the south side of the city. Like, do you understand the level of insane generosity that happens so that not only do you send, like, Ryan was an elder in the church, if I remember right, right? Like, they sent away one of their best pastors to go and start a church. They gave us, in 12 months, they gave our church $40,000. This is a church that's less than 10 years old. And they gave us $40,000 and one of the best families in that church. That's that's a superpower of generosity. And when the Spirit of God shows up, churches develop this superpower. So many of you have this superpower. I think about Carla, who is quietly one of the most generous people I know. She's not even going to look up. I'm just going to see the top of her hat right now. But she is such... I don't, I, and, and I'll tell you, I don't know who gives what in our church. Uh, the, the stewardship team takes care of that. Like, I don't want to know. But based on what I can tell, we are a generous church that's committed to giving back to this community and and investing in what God's doing in the world. Number five, fifth superpower, they ate together. As pandemic eases, I want to encourage you to resume eating together whenever and wherever you can. I want to encourage you to do it. Like... Uh, as best you can, let your hair down, get to know each other outside church. Like, just do it again. Look around real quick. Is there anybody sitting around you that you go, I don't know them, but I see them a lot and I wish I knew them. You can do it. Look around. Everybody look. You see anybody? You're like, dang, I don't know him. I don't know her. Every week somebody comes up to me, by the way, and they go, hey, who's that uh, guy? Who, who's that woman? I'm like, why don't you go get to know him? I, even don't, I don't want to tell them their name. Like, I usually do. But I want to be like, why don't you go meet them? That's a church's superpower. The ability to eat together and get to know each other. You've done that as best as possible in pandemic. I want to encourage you. Pursue people you don't know. Let me, let me pastor you for a second. Don't wait for them to come to you. If there's somebody that you see Sunday after Sunday and something kind of like burns in your brain, like it almost feels like there's, eye, like there's magnets in your eye and heart that pull you toward them. Don't wait for them to come to you. Even maybe today or next week, invite one another to lunch or get to know each other. Number six, uh, they, got, they knew each other. This one's implicit. We won't talk about it long. Could this become a superpower of our church? Pandemic has conspired against you knowing one another well. There's a bunch of people who are new. How many of you have started coming in the last 12 months. The first time you came was in the last 12 months. That's true, you guys. Don't be shy. That's true of you. True of you, Ari. Yep. Yeah. Why are you looking at your wife like she's not telling the truth? That's true. Bonnie's right. Yeah. Awesome. Man, that's incredible. I want to encourage you. We've got to know one another. And there may be a 
temptation for somebody like Nicole or somebody who's new to say, oh, I don't know him. I don't know her. Uh, They've probably been coming a long time. Listen, almost everybody sitting in this room has not been coming a long time. If you've been coming for more than a cup of coffee, you've been here longer than a lot of the people here. Pursue one another. Get to know one another just like they did. uh, The seventh thing, they liked each other. (laughs) They liked each other. Why do I say that's a superpower? Because I've been in churches where people don't like each other. I've been in churches where, the, uh, where there were pews and two sides of the pews and like the other side was enemy lines for some families. I've been in churches like that. These guys liked each other and they loved each other. They were glad when they're together. Real fast, is there somebody in our church, you can say it out loud, I want to invite you to say it out loud or put it in the chat. Is there somebody in our church we're not gonna, I'm not going to single you out. We're all going to say it on the count of three that when they walk in the room, it makes your heart happy. Is there anybody in our church that when they walk in the room, it makes your heart happy? On the count of three, we're all just going to say it together, all right? Here we go. One, two, three. Oh, my word. You guys hate each other? <laughs> we're going to try this again. How many of you can think of someone that when they walk in the room, it makes you happy? Okay, all right, good. Yeah, you're shy. I get it, introverts. All right, here we go. We're going to try it again. And if you don't know, just point at them. And I won't even do it like you just point at them, okay? Here we go. On the count of three, when they walk in the room, it makes your heart happy. One, two, three. There it is. Good job. Man, at first you guys sounded like a bunch of Roman Catholics. Then you sounded like a bunch of Pentecostals. That was awesome. Good job, people. I love it. I love it. They liked each other and they loved each other and they were happy when they saw one another walk in the room. I'm praying somebody in our church is going to become the minister, and I won't give you the term minister because I know it might make some of you uncomfortable, but the minister of fun. I want somebody to come and say, I want to be the minister of fun. I want to plan kickball games and barbecues and soccer matches and birthday parties, and I want to be the one who is the minister of fun. Churches ought to have that. I once saw a church sign that said, um, if you're ch- a church alive is worth the drive. And I joked to my friend, that, uh, the other side of a church shine, sign should have said, if your church is dead, just stay in bed. Like, listen, a church alive is worth the drive. We, we want to pursue one another. Um, there was a church that had this superpower in Columbia, South Carolina. I never worshiped there. It's called Midtown Fellowship. And uh, did you go to church there when you were in college? Did you really? That's awesome. Midtown would do a thing every year called Family Vacation. Were they still doing that when you went there? Family Vacation. And it was expected that you were going on Family Vacation. And they would leave on a like a Friday afternoon, they would cancel Sunday service and they would come back on Sunday afternoon and for the weekend, they would just go away as a church. Like, they liked each other. Can I also tell you one more thing about that church? It was, I think, per capita, the poorest church in the state of South Carolina. It was all college kids and homeless people. I joke you not. They had a young pastor who said, who in our town needs love? And we're going to love them radically. And over a 10-year period, they so radically changed homelessness in their town by the way they loved homeless people that their mayor in his state of the city address, after they'd been there about 10 years, thanked the church and literally said, homelessness in our city is different because of Midtown. And man, they were just masters of this idea. Number eight, 
In verse 46, we see that this church had uh, the superpower of being joyful. They had glad hearts. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is not circumstantial. It is rooted in who God is and what he's done. I asked Natalie yesterday, I said, who in our church do you look at and say is joyful? And this is not to say all the other people are miserable. This is just the three first people she named. She said Juliana and Hugh Coleman and Annie and Mark. And there's so many of you who have the joy of the Lord. But what a cool thing that can be said that you are Someone who, regardless of your circumstances, exhibits the joy of the Lord. And Hugh Coleman, I wish he was here so I could pick on him. He is truly like, Hugh's like puppy could get run over and he would still act like everything was cool. Uh, That's a superpower in a church that has joy. Man, what a gift. When we see joy, we affirm the joyful person because they show us something of God's temperament. Number nine, they were worshipful. They were worshiping God. Worship is just ascribing worth to God for who he is and what he's done. Listen, it's okay to clap in church, all right? Ed has to lead the clap all the time, right? Like, he, like and you guys, once he does it, everybody, it's okay to clap. Look, it's okay. Juliana, just a minute ago, I heard her. She was snapping to the song. She was, I was like, okay, then, all right. Like, it's okay to do that. Like, if that's not your deal... I get it, and that's okay, but I want to tell you, it's okay to clap. It's okay to sing loud, even if you can't sing. It's okay, like, to say amen or praise the Lord or come on or whatever you want to say. It's okay to, like, Nick does that song, um, Graves in the Gardens. We sang it last week, and there's that part where it goes, he turned something into something. I don't know what it says, and I always want to go boom, boom, boom. You know what I'm talking about? Like, but I don't want to freak you guys out. So next time we sing it, if somebody wants to stomp with me, you can stomp. That's okay to be worshipful. It's okay to sing loud. It's okay to make much of Jesus with how we respond and speak up and even praise God out of church. That's okay. That was a superpower of the early church. And then finally, the last one, they grew. There was growth. Growth is always the byproduct of health. Healthy bodies grow. Healthy trees grow. Healthy animals grow. Healthy churches grow. Last week was the most people we've ever had in person in our church on a Sunday. In the middle of pandemic. Not even counting the Facebook Live people who are just as much here as the ones in person. Last week there were 10 people here for the first time ever. That's a lot. Next week we're going to baptize, I think, three people, God willing, Healthy churches grow. If you keep reading, you're going to see that by Acts 17, within just a decade, by Acts 17, uh, verse 6, it says, these people who have literally turned the world upside down. They literally spread the gospel all through the Roman Empire and turned the world upside down. Jesus in them, Jesus among them, Jesus through them. Can it happen here in Charlestown, in Christ Church in, in 2021? I believe the answer is yes. What do we have? Like if you were, if for the note takers, what in that list would you say we have? Or is there something we didn't even list? What's lacking? I think we begin to pray for those things, long for those things, and make bold moves towards it. If the goal and the mission is to bring Charlestown together around the gospel, to make sure every man, woman, boy, and girl in this neighborhood has at least one chance to say yes or no to Jesus, then what superpowers will it take? And what would God ask of you? What would God ask of you? Every man, woman, boy, and girl having at least one chance to say yes or no to Jesus. That's what we're aiming for. What will it take? 
How much superpower will it take from the Lord to see it happen?